Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode 242, uh, 244 of the uh, Medicine Rocks podcast for Sunday, March 4, 2012. On tonight's show, are med students turning to prostitution to pay tuition? Really? There's a story on this. We'll talk about that. Plus, we must save a family medicine training program from closing in California. I'll have details on that. Also, remembering the tragedy at Chardon High School, which is about 60 miles from where I'm sitting right now. All that and a lot more coming up on episode 244 of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the American Academy of Family Physicians, Dr. Glenn Street. Um, this year, one of my commitments and, and a great interest is to be more engaged with you as leaders, chapter leaders, uh, and, and our frontline membership. Uh, on, on Monday, a Twitter handle, uh, I'm privileged to be the first one to hold, uh, at AFP Prez, P-R-E-Z. I already have 29 followers. I feel so proud. Um, I have a long, long way to go to catch up to uh, our current student board member, Kevin Bernstein, who has a little over 1,000. Um, and our, uh, our king of family medicine social media, uh, Mike Sevilla, who has nearly 7,000 uh, members. Medicine Rocks podcast on a Sunday night here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. I am your host. My name is Mike Sevilla, family physician and social media enthusiast. What is this show about? Tonight, commentary on the news of the past week. I encourage you to check out the website at familymedicinerocks.com. Shout out to uh, all the people following me on Twitter, all 8,525 people. Why? I have no idea. Thank you so much for that. Also, shout out to all 347 people who like the Facebook page and the new timeline layout of the Facebook page. I like it. Leave a comment over there. Let me know how you enjoy the show. If you don't enjoy the show, then don't leave anything over there. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Today is Sunday, March 4, 2012. It is 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. And it feels like 29 degrees Fahrenheit here at Family Medicine Rocks World Headquarters. And how's your weekend been there, uh, kids? I also want to give a big shout-out to uh, those of you who took part in the uh, healthcare communication social media chat just in the past hour. And uh, for those of you who are straggling along to uh, listen to this show following that chat, uh, hey, you know, relax, you know, decompress. You know, I mean, this is very low key, you know? <laughs> but I know everybody's multitasking out there. So thank you all for uh, joining me here tonight. Uh, some interesting topics here uh, this evening and uh, be uh, kicking off with uh, an article uh, about medical students uh, turning to prostitution. Really? The pay tuition? We'll talk about that. Also, uh been following this story for the past uh, couple of weeks uh, from our friends out there in California and uh, they're trying to save a family medicine residency from closing. There's been a lot of action out there in their local newspaper, and the uh, local family medicine leadership has been uh, uh, coming up to bat uh, for them, and uh, they have not given up the fight yet. So uh, I'll review that. Also, a challenge uh, put out uh, having to do uh, with the upcoming AAFP uh uh, National Conference of Special Constituencies meeting a challenge that was put out on their leadership blog this week, a challenge to all chapters to send a new physician to the NCSC meeting. I'll talk about that. 
Um, also, Super Tuesday coming up in a couple of days here in the uh, great state of Ohio and other states. So we'll talk about that. And uh, also be talking about the Chardon High School, uh, which is uh, just about uh, 60 miles from where I'm sitting uh, right here. Uh, huge effects here uh, in the state and also nationally as well I'll be uh, talking about as well. So a jam-packed show here uh, this evening, and uh, we will get started here. But first... I do want to thank Blog Talk Radio for having me a featured host here on the network. Thank you so much for that. I've been a social media hobbyist since 2005, and if you're curious, yes, I am a uh, family physician, full-time private practice, I'm meeting I see patients five days a week in the office and in the hospital here in beautiful northeastern Ohio. And I want to give a big shout-out to people in the chat room here. Hey, we have uh, Steve from the Work to Lose It uh, show here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Uh, and uh, came back with episode number two, and I encourage people to check that out, blogtalkradio.com slash work, the number two, lose it. And uh, I called into that show just to show some love uh, to Steve, so I encourage you to check out his uh, show here on the network. Also a guest in there, and also people who may be listening in other ways. Uh, you can also listen to this show on your iPhone or mobile device as well. So uh, thank you, everybody, for joining me here. And I'll take my break here, and then... Uh, we will uh, continue with the discussion here. You're listening to the Family Medicine Rocks podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Family Medicine Revolution. What's that? Just Google FM Revolution for more details. And also a member of the ProMed Network of Podcasts. Get there by going to ProMedNetwork.com, and we will be right back. social media through the eyes of a family physician. This is the Family Medicine of Rocks podcast. My name is Mike Savilla. Our uh, top story here uh, this evening is this uh, story I saw on MSNBC, and uh, this is from uh, five days ago. The title is, Are Med Students Turning to Prostitution to Pay Tuition? Yes, that's right. That's the real title, kids. I'm going to read part of this here and give some commentary. So uh, it starts out, an increasing portion of students in the United Kingdom looking for a way to pay for their tuition are turning to prostitution, according to a new paper by a British medical student. The problem may be particularly acute among medical students who generally go to school longer, accrue more debt, and have less time for paid employment, according to the paper by Jody Dixon, who was studying at the University of Birmingham. Dixon pointed to a study of about 300 British university students in which 10% reported knowing a student who had worked as a prostitute or escort in 2010. Really? Really? Wow. Here's the kicker. That's up. That is up from about 6% in 2006 and 4% in 2000 a rise that coincided with an increase in college tuition fees. Here's a quote. With escalating debts, students in the United Kingdom may view prostitution as an easy way to get rich quick. Wrote in her article published today, February 28, in the journal Student BMJ. Look it up. Some consider prostitution... Their only choice for paying for their education, quote, which I think is awful, I think it's a shame, unquote, though she said she can understand why people would arrive at that conclusion. In the U.K., the act of prostitution per se is not illegal, really, but related activities are, including soliciting sex. The English Collective of Prostitutes, an organization that support, really, an organization that offers support for sex workers has received an increasing number of calls from students considering sex work and has medical students within its network. 
Wow. Jobs in retail stores and bars that students may take uh, instead are in- increasingly scarce and offer low pay. I'm also going to uh, put this uh, link in the chat room here as I continue to read along. Shout out to uh, Living Well Doc, who's joining us live here as well. While the ethical implications of soon-to-be doctors working as prostitutes that are unclear, what is unacceptable is a student being forced into prostitution out of financial desperation, the study said. It's not clear whether a similar problem exists in other countries. In 2008, a French student published an autobiography of her time spent as a prostitute to fund her education and a French student union has claimed that as many as 40,000 students, 40,000 students work as prostitutes, but this is difficult to prove. Imagine that. The United States has been, or excuse me, the United States has seen a rise in medical tuition fees. The average medical student graduates with more than $140,000 in debt, according to 2007 data from the from the Association of American Medical Colleges (AAMC). Prostitution is illegal in all states except Nevada, which allows licensed brothels. That's the closing sentence to, <laughs> to that story. Wow! Can you believe that, kids? You know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, if people uh, have been. Uh, I mean, people kind of joke about this in school at all levels, you know, whether you're in college or in graduate school or, you know, medical school or, you know, whatever. Uh, it is, uh, uh, you know, something that is prevalent. Uh, I wouldn't say prevalent. It is something that, uh, you know, people hear about. You know, of course, there aren't a lot of numbers out there. Of course, there's probably not a lot of studies out there, especially in this country. Um, but, uh you know this the story interested me because uh, uh you wonder you know what graduate level students are doing you know with these rising costs in education and it's not just medical school it's all kinds of uh, you know at all education levels and i've been reading a lot about this you know um, over the uh, past few days since this uh, article has been published. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, the, the uh, you know, people saying, oh, it's awful, you know, I can't believe it's happening, and, you know, and, and uh, you know, we should, we should do better for these students and, and uh, you know, everybody with their own little, you know, political bent has their opinion on this. Um, but uh, it, it was the one thing that was surprising to me is that is that the data that they have here from this British study says that there's been an increase uh, all the way going back to 2000, the year 2000. Um, I'll have to uh, read this uh, article a little bit in more detail, February 28, in the journal Student BMJ. Um, but uh, I don't know, kids. I mean, you know, what do you guys think about it out there? You know, leave a leave a comment on my Facebook page. You know, uh, tweet me up here on Twitter. I'm uh, Dr. Mike Sabella here on Twitter. And uh, if you've got a thought in the chat room, you know, let me know. Uh, but uh, hey, this is. Uh, I wonder if we're going to be seeing more of these type of stories. You know, as as time goes on, as as educational costs continue to rise, not only in this country but around the world. And it'll be interesting to kind of see, you know, if you're going to be seeing more of these stories out there. Uh, Let me uh, take a little bit of a break here. And uh, after the break, I'm going to be uh, talking about our good friends in uh, California. I tried to uh, give them a heads up, but I'm going to be uh, talking about the story here uh, tonight. um, That uh, there's a a training program out there, uh, a family medicine training program that they're looking to close. Um, and what aren't they closing in California? Because they just have no money. <laughs> uh, but uh, let me take a little bit of a break here, and uh, I will uh, catch a little bit of a sip of my beverage, and uh, we will be right back to continue here on the Family Medicine Rocks podcast on a Sunday night here on the Blog Talk Radio Network, FanMedicineRocks.com, and we will be right back. <laughs> Thank you. 
That's right, the unofficial podcast of the Family Medicine Revolution, Google FM Revolution for more details. And so let's talk about this story here. This is uh, from our good friends in California, getting a lot of links uh, over the past uh, few weeks, uh, specifically from the Bakersfield, Californian, bakersfieldcalifornian.com. This uh, starts out with an um, article here from Friday, February 24, 2012. The title is, Doctors Decry KMC Cut a Family Medicine Program, that is the Kern Medical Center. And the article starts off like this, that the Kern Medical Center has decided not to accept first-year family medicine residents and likely will close that program altogether, a move local doctors say could have disastrous consequences and worsened Kern County's primary care shortage. Family medicine residents or doctors in their final stages of training often stay in Kern County after graduation, adding to the community's overall supply of primary care physicians. While they're training at KMC, they will also see patients, and uh, let's say this is the founder of the residency, uh, to see that program go is shocking, Dr. Ramon Newfield says. It doesn't make any sense. It would lead to a severe blow to our need for primary care manpower in Kern County. And what has happened in the past few weeks is that the uh, leadership out there, the physicians are starting to stand up and say, hey, we do not want this to happen, including our good friends at the California Academy of Family Physicians. Of course, they, they sent a letter on dated February 28th saying, of course, they oppose this. And um, one of the quotes in their letter is, family medicine is not the problem, it is the answer, the California AFP says. One reason that family medicine programs run a deficit is because low-income patients comprise a large percentage of the panels. Without this residency program, these individuals will need to be absorbed elsewhere in the county health care system. Two unintended consequences of closing the program will be patients will uh, delay seeking care until it becomes an emergency, which means it'll be more expensive. And then patients will often uh, seek uh, primary care in the emergency department, which is also the most expensive place to get their care. And uh, other physicians have wrote, uh, written uh, <clears throat> letters and editorials about this, I'm including the president of the Kern County Medical Society, which is their local society, and also president of the Kern County Academy of Family Physicians. And uh, let me see if uh, <clears throat> you can see from that letter. This says, Kern ranks near the bottom of California counties in terms of residents' health, according to the 2010 report by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Higher rates of chronic diseases here, such as diabetes and obesity, are the very kinds of health challenges shown to improve and they have access to physicians who provide primary and preventative care. The patient-centered medical home model, which is championed, of course, by family physicians, KMC could uh, continue to play an essential role in combating our community's dire physician shortage. Originally, our medical community is enriched by numerous KMC alumni, we came here to train and decided to stay after graduation. And uh, what has also happened is that the uh, <clears throat> the newspaper, the editorial board, has written not only one but two supportive letters in the in the uh, newspaper there. There's one here from Saturday, February 25th, Keep KMC Residency Program Alive. Uh, the residency program at KMC has managed to bring doctors here and keep them here. This, the rationale to stop bringing family medicine residents at KMC uh, is that the program costs $6 million a year, considering that KMC is tens of millions of dollars in debt that figure uh, is not pocket change. We understand the need to cut costs at KMC, but at what price to our community's health and overall quality of life? One of the key measurables that businesses evaluate when they weigh positive relocation or expansion 
is the quality of medical care. County supervisors do their constituents no good by shutting down this very important program. And uh, let me read one more here. This is from uh, yesterday, March 3. Consensus is building that a current medical center plan to halt and possibly end the family medicine residency program is widely credited with helping to recruit doctors to the area is a bad idea. Since the news of the plan broke, program alumni, local physicians, and the county board of supervisors have all expressed their support for its continuation. However, the current medical center leaders are right to look for a way to make the program financially viable. It costs $6 million annually, an expense that adds to the growing uh, to the hospital's growing mound of debt. Here's an idea. Let the current health systems chip in. While KMC wallows in debt, we can think of a can't think of a better use for KHS bloating reserves at nearly eighty million dollars. The pool is fully eight times what the state requires. KHS primary mission is to coordinate and manage health care for low-income residents. The website states, caring for our community is important to us as an organization and goes on to list funds the organization has contributed to. It closes by saying, as it works to move past the controversy associated with the highly questionable financial practices of recent years, KHS could restore trust and goodwill with visible efforts to boost health services in an area that so direly uh, lacks them. We know KHS has the money for these efforts. The residency program is an appropriate way to start spending it. What does this all mean? (laughs) You know, I'm reading these stories here, and I just cannot understand, you know, why you know, communities, why hospitals would choose to close, you know, primary care, family medicine residency programs. You know, of course, it costs a lot of money. And, of course, you know, they are probably close to being at the top of the list because, you know, they don't bring in the dollars that procedural specialties do. You know, people like, you know, surgeons and, and people that cut things and, and do t- a lot of different type of procedures or brings in research or this and that. But just like in any community, primary care, family medicine is the basis for all care in the community. It is where people go. It is where people go to get their care, especially, you know, those, you know, low-income residents, those residents who have nowhere else to go, family medicine, primary care takes them in, you know, takes care of these patients for those, you know, communities striving towards patient-centered medical home, a team approach, you know, team-based care, preventative care, to prevent those very expensive ER visits, to prevent those very expensive hospitalizations. You get those patients, you know, plugged in with the right primary care physician, with the right family physician, then it will be cheaper for the community. It will be cheaper for the hospital. It'll be better care. It'll be better satisfaction for patients, for providers, for physicians, for the community. That's why you need to keep this residency program open. And it's what usually happens is that the doctors that train at this hospital, at this medical center, in this community, they'll probably stay there. They'll probably stay there and continue to care for the community. You'll have continuity. You'll have people who are familiar with the community resources. You'll have people who are familiar 
and, and, and invested and have a buy-in in the community. That's why you want to keep this residency program there. Now, I mean, it's really coming down to dollars and cents. It's really coming down to the bean counters and saying, hey, we cannot afford to keep this program open. But how can you afford not to keep it open? Just like it's been said numerous times by the leadership out there, by physicians, by the community, closing primary care programs or even a community setting like this, having primary care leave the area, you know, all you're doing is setting up your community. All you're doing is setting up those patients to come in later in their disease process, to come to the hospital, to be admitted. That's expensive. Or even to go to the emergency room for their primary care, which is the most expensive care out there. Why not just keep this program open? Why not keep those doctors there? Why not keep those primary care family physicians there? Because they're going to stay in the community. They're going to continue to give care to the citizens of your community. It's going to be cheaper. It's going to be uh, more satisfying for the patients, for the providers, for the community. That's why you should keep this open. I encourage my friends out there in California to keep fighting for this program and unfortunately, with the state of our national economy, with the state of state economies, that we're going to be seeing more stories like this across the country of primary care, of family medicine residency programs closing because Hospitals and hospital systems cannot keep them open because they said it's too expensive. But the unintended consequences of something like this will be that care in the community will get more expensive. It will lower the quality of care in your community. That is what is going to happen if you close these residency programs that are out there. Don't be short-sighted in this, kids. We're in this for the long term. I really believe that family medicine, you know, has the solutions to, to help this broken health care system. I encourage my friends out there in California to keep fighting for this. I encourage my friends across the country, family medicine advocates out there, continue to speak up for your patients. Continue to speak up for your specialty. Because really, when it comes down to it, if we don't do it, if we don't do it for our patients, then who will? Who will? So I will continue to talk about this and continue my friends in the family medicine community to talk about this because we have to keep this message going here. We have to keep talking about the importance of family medicine, the importance of primary care, why we think it is important, why we think that we have the solutions to help with this broken healthcare system. And I think we're going to do it. I have faith. <laughs> I have uh, I am optimistic that we could do that. We'll be right back, and I uh, will continue onward on this uh, Sunday night here on the Family Medicine and Rocks podcast. My name is Mike Savella. We'll be right back. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Baby, don't hurt me. 
social media through the eyes of a family physician. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast on a Sunday night here on the uh, Blog Talk Radio Network. Hey, catching up from topic one here, and uh, appreciate the uh, comments in the chat room here. I don't know if I can read them, but uh, <laughs> let, me, uh, let me scan them here uh, uh, quick. Our good friend Steve here says, uh, nursing tuition is also rising. Uh, nursing needs more educa- educators, but how can we spend $30,000 for a uh, MSN? Um, master's level, and, and then take 50% pay cut from uh, what a staff nurse makes, question mark. Uh, interesting. Uh, and the Living World Doc says, wow, what a dramatic, uh, what a drastic way to avoid uh, student loans. So, uh, and last time, I'm, I'm, I can't read that. <laughs> uh, so, um, so coming up in just a couple of days here, kids, is uh, 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 Super Tuesday, the big Super Tuesday primary here in Ohio and other states. And uh, um, it's been interesting from, from, from this end um, of hitting, getting all those advertisements because it's just been, you know, watching TV. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of wall-to-wall coverage, wall-to-wall uh, political uh, ads on television, or on radio, um, or getting flyers, uh, you know, in the mailbox, you know, reading stuff in the paper, uh, you know, it's, I'm just sick of it, <laughs> you know, and I know this is just a primary, <laughs> it's just going to all happen again, you know, in the fall, and it's just, uh, you know, it's, you know, things get really political, it's, it just really turns me off, I don't know about you people out there, but uh you know, really, really turns me off, and it's just, it's just you get so upset. I just, I just can't, I can't watch this. You know, I, I can't watch this anymore. And uh, you know, seeing all those, you know, all those signs on the road, and when you go and vote, you know, people out there with their little, you know, buttons and stuff. Um, and I have this uh, audio clip here that I got from the Associated Press, and uh, uh, there's a couple of uh, uh, people in this story from our uh, good town here of. Uh, Youngstown, Ohio, in this story, and they're talking about the upcoming uh, Super Tuesday uh, primary, and uh, this is pretty long, about three minutes, so we will uh, play this and then continue here. On Tuesday, 10 states will pick their choice for which Republican takes on President Barack Obama in the fall. Of the Super Tuesday group, Ohio may provide the most critical look at who can unite the GOP. There really isn't much difference between Republicans and Democrats. To me, they, they're fighting each other over who gets to shaft us. Especially with voters like Youngstown, Ohio, Barbara Cosmo Pecchia, who's ambivalent about everyone in the field, including the president. He's a swing voter who is in the working class. They're the people who populate the industrial heartland, from factory workers to those working behind the bar, serving tables and cooking dinner. I definitely want Barack Obama out of there. Um, I'm going to go with who I think will beat him. Mary Louise Julian thinks Mitt Romney should be the Republican pick. I would say in order, maybe Santorum, Gingrich, and Mitt Romney. While Mike and Susan Scheidler prefer Rick Santorum. You know, Mitt comes across as, uh, and I don't think he means to, but he kind of comes across as, as one of the 1%, you know. To me, he sort of seems like the guy next door that you could live next door to. And, you know, he uh, he doesn't, I'm sure he has money, but he doesn't want that. This is why Ohio is a battleground state, not just in the general election, but also this Republican primary. Mitt Romney is having some trouble connecting with conservative-minded working-class voters, leaving a gap for Rick Santorum. I think uh, that Romney's having trouble uh, in Ohio because... Uh, the working class in Ohio is more conservative than one of it is in Michigan. John Russo runs the Center for Working Class Studies at Youngstown State University. And I think that the types of appeals that Santorum is making are appealing to that white working class. At the same time, it's, it's suggesting the type of uh, insensitivity that Romney has with working class people and working class issues. One thing that may irk some working class voters is that every Republican candidate opposed the bailout of the American auto industry. As far as the Republicans saying that we shouldn't have had the bailout, no, I don't think that's the right answer because to me, 
being a I'm, I'm a simple-minded guy, but to get rid of the middle class, then what do we have? I mean, if I can't afford to buy the vehicle that I'm building, you know, what do we have? Mario Duran and his wife Diane work at a Chrysler plant in Toledo that shuttered when the company went bankrupt in 2009. It would just been a a trickle effect, and it would have been horrible for everybody, for all the middle class. James Faison says he was out of work for a year and can't imagine life without Chrysler. I mean, for the local economy around here, and for myself, it's uh, a blessing that we're able to come back to work um, due to the president's decision to save the auto industry. Manufacturing jobs make up the backbone of the Ohio economy, and the workers on the shop floors are a portion of Ohio voters Republicans must win over. John Moan, Associated Press, Columbus, Ohio. And uh, Romney will be here uh, tomorrow in the uh, Youngstown area here. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, 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 we'll kind of see what happens. Uh, uh, when I was uh, look, looking at the story today, I, uh, uh, I remember uh, back in 1992 when uh, Clinton and Gore were here. And, uh, you know, I was just uh, out of high school there and uh, uh, you know, went to the uh, local mall here and uh, they brought their bus out there. And uh, it was really easy getting caught up in that whole and that whole thing uh, back then. So, uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's nice. Uh, <laughs> it's nice having everybody in the news talk about Ohio. Uh, but uh, I guess we'll talk about us in the fall uh, as well. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. Uh, next topic here is um, going to be talking about going back to a family medicine story here. Um, and uh, there's going to be a huge advocacy uh, meeting for uh, family medicine coming up uh, in a uh, couple of months here. And I'm trying to call up a, uh, a, a blog entry from the uh, – they have this leadership blog uh, where uh, they uh, talk about uh, topics. They talk about meetings. They talk about um, – and, and it's a newer leadership blog when it comes to the family medicine organization. And uh, it's called AFP Leader Voices, and uh, I've talked about the <laughs> the really bad URL for this. <laughs> uh, but just go to AFP.org and search uh, AFP Leader Voices. I think they may have a link on the front page there as well. But uh, uh, but our good friend uh, Robin Lou uh, uh, wrote up a uh, blog post here, uh, Robin Lou, and. Uh, this is from uh, Wednesday, February 29, and the title is a, cha- a Challenge to All Chapters. Send a new physician to NCSC, which stands for the National Conference of Special Constituencies. And um, she says in paragraph two, I was uh, so impressed with the wisdom and importance of this challenge, uh, the challenge to send a new physician from every single state chapter in the AAFB. And that I echoed it in my board installation of the uh, Congress of Delegates a few months later. And uh, she goes along, along to uh, talk about the meeting. And uh, uh, it, first, it gives AFP members with a, a broad diversity of viewpoints a form to uh, bring their unique concerns forward, crafting and debating resolutions through the parliamentary process. Secondly, it excites and energizes those members uh, to be a force of change in family medicine and returns into chapters with a new appreciation of what leadership means in their own lives and careers. And, uh, you know, I can't echo this more, you know. Um, this is uh, very well done, and uh, there's a nice uh, picture there of uh, Dr. Liu on the uh, on the AFP Leader Voices uh, website or blog, and I'll be talking about this more as the weeks go on here. I'm going to be speaking at the Special Constituencies uh, meeting, also the annual leadership forum. Uh, there are two meetings in one, and I'm going to be talking about fam- not only family medicine, I'm going to be talking about uh, social media. And uh, back in the day, back in the day, just a few years ago, you know, I, I ran that Special Constituencies meeting. I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for physicians or family physicians to start to learn how to get things done in organizational medicine. You know, a lot of people come to these meetings and say, you know, a lot of them are one-issue people and say, this is my one issue, and I want to make sure this goes through. But, you know, there's all kinds of people out there, you know, they, they all these one-issue type of people. And, you know, to get things done in a huge uh 
medical organization, uh, you have to learn how to get along with people. You have to learn how to listen. You have to learn, um, you know, not only, you know, one point of view, but both points of view to try to understand the issues, to try to, you know, come to a compromise, to try to come uh, to a, a, a place where, you know, you can, you know, get policy done. You can get policy passed. You know, you may not fully agree with the end product, but that is how organizational medicine happens. And not a lot of people like it, but that is how it happens. And going to this special constituencies meeting, going to the annual leadership forum, will give you the environment where you can make mistakes. <laughs> you, can, you, 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 you get the opportunity to craft your message. You, you, you get the opportunity to learn how to present yourself, to learn how to present your point of view, to learn how to understand others' people's point of view. And I think that is very important uh, for family medicine leaders, for physician leaders to learn this skill. This is a skill you know, that, you know, that you're not born with, that you have to develop, and you have to have people around you who have done this before to teach to share their experiences, and uh, that's why that, that I love that meeting. You know, the special constituencies meeting, it is a family medicine advocacy meeting. The annual leadership forum is a great way for people across the country to dialogue, to say, hey, what's going on in your state? Or how did you approach this issue in your state? You know, the, the, these are the issues that we're having in my state. And, you know, if you're not, you know, signed up for this meeting yet, I encourage you to go to aefp.org. And, uh, you know, check out the special constituencies meeting. It is from May 3 to May 5. And uh, I'm going to be speaking there, you know, about social media. So you have to be there anyway, because this is going to be the best social media family medicine uh, presentation that, you know, that you have ever seen. <laughs> Am I overselling this? I'm probably overselling this. And people are going to be very disappointed when it comes to May. But, you know, I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of saying that my presentation, you got to be there a day early because I'm, a pre, I, I'm in the pre-conference you know, forum. I'm in the pre-conference day. So fly in a day early you know, and, and come and check out my presentation. It's going to get you excited. It's going to get you upset. It's going to get you revved up. It's going to get you ready for the meeting. It's going to get you ready, basically, to change the world. And that is what this meeting is all about. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to take one more break here, and uh, we'll be right back. Uh, final topic here for this evening. My name is Mike Sabella. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast on a Sunday night here on the Blog Talk Radio Network, familymedicinerocks.com. We'll be right back. Back to the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. My name is Mike Savilla. And uh, last topic here uh, for this show um, has to do with what happened last week in the town of Chardon, Ohio, which is north of where I'm sitting right now. It is about 60 miles north. And um, I've been through there uh, maybe once or twice. Um, growing up, um, and um, I remember uh, last week, last Monday, March 27, 2012, I was uh, seeing patients, and uh, as I usually do when I come back to my office, 
you know, I have my little Twitter stream going and Facebook stream going. And as I started to get going in the in the office that morning, I started seeing these reports from local news organizations and also people that I knew up in that area who were in my Twitter and Facebook stream. And they were saying that there were gunshots that were rigging out in the city of Chardon. And then I saw that it was at the high school. And then I saw that the staging area for evacuation was the you know, local Walmart, I believe. And then I was reading that helicopters were going to the parking lot there to get shooting victims, to take them to the big university hospitals in Cleveland. And it's just a, a whole surreal type experience. It, it, it just sounded and it felt, unfortunately, very familiar. It makes me think back to you know, tragedies, you know, like Virginia Tech, which I wrote about in my blog before, going all the way to Columbine High School, even talking about you know, the Gabby Gifford shooting just a year ago. And looking at the news cycle there, and, and you know, at, at my office computer there, I was able to live video stream one of the Cleveland television stations and uh, they were running press all day and you know watching that news cycle as the hours went on and on and on was really surreal it was really it was just i can't can't believe it was happening in front of your eyes i remember seeing you know a couple of students you know, talk to live TV news reporters. They were just hanging out, you know, outside the school, you know, talking to news reporters, giving their accounts, telling them what happened. I remember even one kid, you know, showed that he had a, an injury to his ear, and he was showing the reporters the injury to his ear. And they kept showing, you know, the, the footage of the uh, the assailant, giving himself up. And in those few hours, I mean, you know, they were really focusing on the people who were shot, the people, the person that was arrested, which, you know, which is normal. I mean, that that is what they should do in a news cycle. But what kept coming back to me was, what about the people who witnessed it? What about the people who, for lack of a better term, were left behind? You know, those kids out there who witnessed this, those kids out there who were picked up by their parents who were sitting at home, some of them watching these you know, news reports. What's going to happen to them? You know, in those first 12, 18 hours, nobody really talked about them. They said, oh, yeah, there's counseling, but, you know, what's going to happen to those kids? I wrote a blog post about this, you know, because I was just so upset about it. It was just like those kids, you know, it, it is a form of post-traumatic stress disorder, and they're going to go through a lot of bad things, you know, like flashbacks, like detachment, like, you know, increased anxiety. And that's going to be there even after the cameras leave. It's going to be there for the months and years that go on. Nobody really talked about it. No one ever talks about that during these stories. They focus on the victims. They focus on the assailants. And these news reporters, whether they're local or national, don't really talk about it. That's the big tragedy here. You know, they'll have their news stories in a year or so, the year anniversary. They're going to check in with these kids. 
But what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to the kids? What's going to happen to the parents? What's going to happen to that community to bring them back? This makes me sad. The other thing that makes me real sad and angry is that nobody has any answers to this. Nobody has ever had any answers to this. Whether it's Columbine or Virginia Tech or whatever shooting tragedy happens. You just get the same people bringing up the same issues with no resolution at all. There's the bully people and saying, hey, you know, we should pass more anti-bullying laws. That's the problem. Within the first 24 hours, they said this guy, you know, this kid had a broken home life. So blame his parents. Did he play video games? His parents should go to jail. Is that the solution? Then there's the obligatory stories of how safe are our public schools? Blame the school district. They, you know, they're already brought up, you know, in the first 24 hours, you know, should there be, you know, metal detectors in all schools? Should there be legislation mandating that? And, of course, the homeschool people also said, hey, we don't have this problem. The gun people came out in the first 24 hours. Too many guns out there. We need more gun laws. Forget about the laws that we have on the books already. We need more gun laws to prevent this from happening again. What's unique here is that they blame social media. Did you see this guy's Facebook page before it was taken down? How about laws? How about legislation? To really monitor student social media use. That's the solution. Could that have prevented this? Who knows? Nobody knows. So, I mean, it went through the, the, the typical news cycle that it went through, you know, as far as people being angry, people being upset, people blaming this, people blaming that person, people, you know, Politicians saying this, politicians saying that. Well, you know, when it really comes down to it, you know, are we able? To, are we going to be able to prevent this from happening again? I don't think so. I mean, I don't have any answers either. You know, I'm as frustrated as everybody else. You know, and it's it's um, there's got to be a way to stop this. There's got to be a way. For people to come together to, you know, you know, stop all this finger pointing or put away political agendas and say, you know, how, how can we prevent this from, from happening again? And it's just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the funerals have started for those kids, and the spotlight is still on them, on that community. But as a month goes by, as two months goes by, as six months go by, you know, not only what's going to happen to that small community, but what is going to happen across the country to possibly, hopefully, prevent this from happening again. And unfortunately, I don't think any of us has any answers to that. Which is really sad. It's sad. It's depressing. And we're just waiting for the shoe to fall. We're just waiting for the next tragedy to happen. The community up there, and I do give them credit, you know, I mean, they they did what they were prepared to do in that type of situation. Law enforcement did their job. They School administration did their job. They should definitely be commended for that because it could have been worse. Um, and that coach, you know, that chased after the kid should be commended as well. But I just, I don't know what it is there. 
people. I don't know. I, I wrote a post back in 2007 when it was the Dr. Anonymous blog. The title is, Can the Cycle Be Broken? And probably similar to what other people have written, but it's just the same issues, the same issues from back then. And it's just really, really frustrating. Every time that you see a story like this and you wish that something could be done to prevent the next Chardon High School. My thoughts and prayers go to the families and to the community up there. They're going to have a long road ahead of them. And I hope that the surrounding communities, I hope the state of Ohio, I hope this country does not forget about them in their healing process because they have a long road ahead of them. That's all I have for you this evening. Thank you, everybody, for joining me. Thank you to Living Well Doc for hanging with me till the end here. Thank you so much for that. Check out the website, familymedicinerocks.com. Follow me on Twitter at uh, Dr. Mike Sibilla. And uh, they should have updates for the next show here. Check out uh, the blog post and I have some videos there as well. And also uh, check out other podcasts uh, of, the, uh, of this very show here. So thank you so much for joining me. Have a great week. And, uh, hey, you know, give me a shout-out on Twitter or Facebook. Give me some feedback on the blog site, FamilyMedicineRocks.com. My name is Mike Savella, reporting from Northeastern Ohio. Have a good week. Good night, everybody.